Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I know you. I know you. I love you. I did as you if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 267 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.24 a.m. on October 31st, 2021. Happy Halloween, everyone. Here to join me today, I have... Dan Bear. Happy Halloween. And Bianca Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like supposed to be Oscar Isaac wheezing in Dune? (laughs) I think it was supposed to be a ghost. (laughs) No, it was a zombie. (laughs) A zombie. You know, a zombie. A zombie. Love it. Love it. Well, we are here today to talk about um, various things happening uh, within the film industry and also for award season this week. We also got some Halloween-centric questions from the fans that we're going to answer that I'm looking forward to. Of course, several questions pertaining to award season as usual. And two trailers, one for the new Pixar film Lightyear and the other one for a Netflix title that is releasing later in the season called The Unforgivable, starring Sandra Bullock. But before we get to any of that, Bianca Gardner, I want to give the floor over to you because as I understand it, you have an announcement you want to make. Uh, Yes, I do have an announcement to make and it's kind of a sad one, but this um, after giving it a lot of thought and there's a lot of things going on in my life at the moment, I can't actually go into full detail, but um, I am leaving the next best picture team. And this will be my last podcast. So at least it's a good one because it's a Halloween one and we can, you know, be a lot of fun. But yeah, there's a a few things going on in my life and some things that I want to sort of focus on a lot more. And yeah, so that's the reason I'm sort of departing. And who knows, in the future, it'd be lovely to, to come back if possible once things are a little bit more settled in my life. But um, yeah, it was an uh, easy decision to make. And um, I, I just want to thank everybody. Um, the, the team is just amazing. And Matt, you're just awesome. And I'm so grateful for every opportunity that you've given me over the years. And um, yeah. Uh, I'll try not to get too emotional because I will cry and I've already cried this uh, several times today 
Um, so you don't want to hear me cry anymore. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's just how it is at the moment. So, but um, hopefully, bigger and better things are on the horizon. I we love know. you and we'll miss you, B. Oh, I love you guys too. You're all so wonderful. <laughs> And I'll, I'll miss having the British banter with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we're really going to miss you a lot, B. Uh, some of the pieces that you've written for the site over the years have been some of the most well-researched and best pieces that I've seen. I love when you interview and survey other people to enrich in uh, your writing. And then also uh, the just <sighs> everything that you've bought, brought over to the reviews, to the podcast here, you're just such a ray of sunshine in all of our lives. And yeah. we're really going to miss your presence. Uh, but like you said, um, if things, you know, settle down and, you know, I want you to know that the door is always open for you to return, whether it be for writing or podcast format, you let me know and yeah. this door will be open for you. Who knows what the future has in store? Mm-hmm. Maybe things. Maybe I won't have issues with time zones. That's all I'm going to say so, <laughs> on the matter. Because, <laughs> um, uh, for goodness sake, why are the clocks gone back here? This is just ridiculous. Come on, UK, <laughs> sort it out. <laughs> well, we'll start off with you uh, for what it is that you've been watching this week. So, take it away, B. Fill us in on what you've been watching. Ooh. So. I haven't been able to watch a lot recently, um, but the things that I have watched, I went to see the new Venom movie, um, which was interesting. (laughs) 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 I liked it a lot more than the uh, the first movie. I thought it was a lot funnier, and I do really like the moments between Tom Hardy and, and the venom creature thing you know those scenes are my favorite moments of the film the rest of the film i have like what the hell is going on with the pacing it's it's just (laughs) ramped up to like 10 all of a sudden and the ending i was just like what is who is fighting what what is going on it's just like this cgi mess but you know uh, it was it was okay and then i watched an interesting documentary called glitch in the matrix oh yeah like totally messed with my mind so yeah thanks for that i didn't need to watch that documentary right now and now i'm questioning all of my reality and just being sort of catching up with some older films that i you know some of my favorite films so phantom fred uh, which i watched yesterday and then i also watched fifa vendetta because it's the 5th of november soon and that's do you ever need a more important reason to watch fifa vendetta no oh no it's an annual tradition are you kidding me yeah yeah exactly and i i feel like it's a very timely movie Mm -hmm. so much of that film i was like wow this is kind of like to think that it's when was it made 2005 or early 2000 yeah uh mid mid 2000s if i remember correctly and it's just so relevant to stuff and it's just really just one of those movies that i um i think was ahead of its time i agree yeah and aside from that, I've just been trying to keep myself busy by watching Squid Game on Netflix. <laughs> L- late, late, a little bit late to, late to the party on that one. And oh, I've just been re-watching Always Sunny because I just need, you just need something like that in your life every so often. 
So unfortunately, I've, I wanted to go watch last night in Soho yesterday and I was stuck in a traffic jam for an hour and a half. So <laughs> I'm still very upset about that. But one day, you know, I will see that movie eventually, uh, even if I have to endure another traffic jam. Oh, but uh, I'm so upset because I really want to join in the podcast review of that yesterday. So, ah, but yeah, that's just uh, what's going on in my life at the moment. Fighting traffic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. I uh, love hearing it. Uh, Squid Game is crazy and very, very well done. It's not probably I don't think it's going to go down as one of the best miniseries I've seen this year. Uh, I definitely think it still has some flaws, but as, as far as entertainment goes, oh, it's a, there's a reason why it's the most popular watched Netflix anything <laughs> ever released on the platform. I think loads of people are going to be doing uh, Squid Game related Halloween costumes this year. Aren't oh, they? I've already seen a bunch um, <laughs> down the street. Like, I've seen people walking down the streets of New York dressed as one of the guards and stuff, and I'm like... Okay, he's not armed, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's when they start making you play red light, green light, then you're worried. Then oh, you should gosh. be worried. Dan Bear, what about yourself? Um, I watched a few things this week. Um, I The New Fest, which is the New York LGBTQ Film Festival, wrapped up earlier this week, and I saw a few films as part of that. Um, my favorite was Potato Dreams of America. I saw this, oh my god, I can't remember which film festival it was, but I did see this at an earlier film festival. That was very interesting. It, I think, you know, it's a first-time filmmaker, and I think it's one of those cases where his reach exceeds his grasp. Uh, it's trying to do a lot. Mm -hmm. But for me, more of it worked than didn't. It is very purposefully campy, which is difficult to get right a lot of the time, but... It worked for me. It's very charming. It's very endearing. Really good performances by the lead as well as the rest of the ensemble. I enjoyed it. Um, not great, but I enjoyed it. Um, there's also a documentary called Raw Uncut Video with the exclamation points in between each word. Um, that is maybe the sweetest documentary I've ever seen about an amateur porn studio. It makes an interesting case for porn as an important piece of gay cultural history that should be preserved and archived, which is not something that I've ever um, really heard before. And it, it's very, very interesting. It will not find the audience that it needs to be convinced of this, but it's really well done and interesting, and I enjoyed it. I haven't been able to watch as many, like, Halloween horror stuff as I wanted to this year, this month, because I've been so busy. But I met up with a friend earlier this week, and he showed me House of the Devil, the T. West movie from way back when. Or mm. not way back when, but like earlier in the 2000s. And I really enjoyed it. It felt like this kind of lost classic, both like in terms of the aesthetics being so perfectly from the 1980s, as well as like, I just like don't remember... Like, people don't talk about this movie enough right now, I think. And I think part of that is because T. West hasn't really become a major filmmaker. Like, this showed the promise that he would. Mm -hmm. But, and, oh my god, Greta Gerwig. <laughs> oh, yeah? Greta Gerwig in a small supporting role in this movie with the feathered hair and all the denim and the quippy one-liners. I 
I loved it. I love that basically nothing happens for the first two thirds of the movie. And then the last third is uh, insane. Really well done. I really enjoyed it. Loved the aesthetics. Loved everything. Um, and then I watched The Souvenir, both part one and part two. Um, part one is the very definition of not for me. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, <laughs> I felt that like it walked a very fine line between am I supposed to be laughing at this or am I supposed to be taking it seriously and something genuine? And for the most part, especially for like the first two thirds of the movie or so, it felt like that was a failure of execution rather than a failure of intent and rather than that being the intent. But then in the last third, I kind of like switched on and like, okay, maybe I kind of get what you're going for, but it still didn't feel like it was really done as well as it could have been. Um, and then part two, I will say it has a much clearer handle on tone for me than part one did. But for both of them, I just didn't feel very connected to these characters. And for me, Matt and I were discussing this. It it didn't feel like it was so much a character study, like we were really investigating um, this character of Julie, who is based on the director, Joanna Hogg, um, so much as a character presentation, so much as it is literally a portrait of the artist as a young woman. And it's a snapshot of her at this point in her life. And we are just viewing her as she is or how Joanna now perceives how, who she was back then. And that's interesting on an artistic level, but it was not for me engaging enough for me to really love it. I think there are some elements, particularly of the second one, that are very well done. Love the cinematography and the editing. The look of it is great. I think Tilda Swinton is fantastic um, in her very small supporting role. Loved Richard Ayoade. I wanted more of Richard Ayoade in both of these movies. But ultimately, I, I couldn't get on board with either, unfortunately. And I know these films have very ardent fans, but I just couldn't I couldn't get on the wavelength. Yeah, I found the first one very hard to watch when I initially first watched it. I didn't like it at all. But then there was something about it on the second rewatch, which I connected with a lot more. Mm. It might have been because like I was sort of seeing, uh, going through like relationship issues which mm -hmm. mirrored what was happening in the movie so and then it was well, like oh i get this now like i can connect to this film i will say i think tom burke is fantastic oh yes yes very like that is such a very specific bland brand of slimy unctuous um toxic masculinity and he nails it to the point where I, like, literally wanted to murder him. <laughs> <laughs> like, how dare you treat this poor girl this way? I personally hated the first Souvenir film, mostly because of his character. I just couldn't stand him, but I yeah, agree that Tom Burke yeah. plays it very, very well. And maybe that is the point, right? Uh, I actually liked part two exponentially more than part one and it even made me retroactively appreciate part one more i agree dan that 
Richard Iote is like incredible in part two, and I really wish he had more scenes because every time he's involved, it's really incredible how much he like kind of takes the film up a notch in terms of just energy yeah. and magnetism. Yeah. The personal journey that Joanna Hogg is conveying here in terms of her own life story and what has led to her being where she is today in this meta memoir, I, I, I was really captivated by it uh, through part two, even if, yes, yeah, some of the disconnected, maybe sort of disjointed uh, storytelling was still present. I think it was more emotionally resonant the second time around because she's dealing with the aftermath of what happens uh, to Tom Burke's character in part one. So, yeah, I like for me, it was so much better than the first one to the point that I even want to one day marathon both films uh, back to back and see how they play as one story. I it was really interesting because I basically did that. <laughs> um, the it, it, in that the you know I watched the first one I think like two days before I saw the second, right? And I, it was interesting because I was worried that the second one like you would not be able to understand it without having seen the first. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think they did a really good job <laughs> of of conveying the story of the first one to the, any viewers of the second who hadn't uh, seen it. Yeah. Oh, I did see uh, Last Night in Soho for the second time since uh, seeing it at TIFF. Uh, check out our podcast review of that, which dropped yesterday. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't need to rub it in. I do want to echo head on over to our podcast review of Last Night in Soho, especially if you have seen it, because I do think that the discourse around that film is pretty fascinating right now. Um, unlike uh, another film that is releasing next week that we'll be reviewing on the podcast where I find the discourse to be exhausting. But we'll get to that later. I saw The Summit of the Gods after our recording last Sunday, which is a French animated film from Netflix that is based on a Japanese magna. And it is really, really well done in terms of the animation style is one that um, is used in a way where it's kind of like fascinating to me how it's so grounded and not hyper. It's not heightened reality through the animation. So you're watching this and you're seeing like the way that the camera is placed in certain shots and the way that it's edited, and it just very much feels like it could have been a feature film, and you're starting to wonder, why did they do this in the form of animation? Um, and But then there are, like, maybe less than five moments where things that you could do in animation that you couldn't do in feature narrative-style filmmaking come through, and they just have so much more impact as a result. Um, I got very strong, I lost my body vibes from this, and I think that that's how Netflix is going to position it uh, this award season amongst uh, their other animated films that they're putting forward this year. I I think this legitimately, if it gets enough traction, uh, could possibly land in that fifth slot in that that race. Is, Is it rotoscoped? Uh, no, it's not. It's all hand-drawn animation. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it, but it's really, I'm telling you, it's really well done. It looks, it looks fantastic. The sound work on it is very real in the sense that it's about mountain climbers. So capturing, mm-hmm. like, the weather elements of the snow, I mean, like, you know, your mind says to, says to itself, wow, they, like, 
for animated films, you know, they have to create everything from scratch. And this was so immersive that I, I was very blown away by some of the sound work that was done in it. Mm. Wow. I saw another animated film, which I can't talk about yet, but it is Encanto. Ooh. Uh, so I will be able to talk more about that next week. But I did see it. More to come on that uh, later on. And then for Halloween this weekend, I made good on my word, which I said on the Next Best Series podcast, <laughs> that I would watch Midnight Mass. And I did. I sat down and I watched the entire miniseries in one sitting, all seven episodes. And holy shit, this might be my favorite thing that Mike Flanagan has ever done. I, <laughs> nice. I like Mike Flanagan. I've never been like a super Mike Flanagan fan. I, I love the technical precision that he brings to a lot of his uh, horror stories. And this was definitely less horror and more character focused and dealing with some really extremely powerful themes of religion, religious fanaticism. Uh, also, you know, the concept of uh, life beyond uh, uh, death, beyond life or life beyond death, however you want to like look at it. Mm. Man, it, it was really, really great. I've seen people say that it's like the best Stephen King story that Stephen King never wrote. And it definitely has echoes of that in it. And the performance from uh, Hamish Linkletter is absolutely extraordinary in this. I really, really hope that he and the writing can somehow get recognized uh, come next Emmy season because I was really, really blown away by, you know, his work, especially. Wait, how did I not realize that was Hamish Linkletter? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Dan, I really, really, really recommend this a lot. It's definitely less, like I said, horror genre than maybe it's being marketed as. Mm -hmm. uh, but the moments where the horror stuff does come through, um, very impactful, extremely creepy and well, well done. And it's a slow burn for sure. Um, I wasn't really into it the first two episodes. But by the time I got to like episode three, I was like starting to warm up to it, especially because Linklater's performance, like I said before, was just hooking me so much. Mm. And then the story just goes completely batshit insane uh, in the four, fifth, sixth, and seventh episodes to the point that I could not stop watching even if I wanted to. It was that damn compelling. Okay. Oh, I, do, I do love it when things just go completely batshit crazy. Oh, yeah, me like, there's, there's one particular episode. It's the penultimate episode. There, It's probably one of the best executed scenes of just sheer madness and chaos that I've seen in terms of I'm watching this thing and the unpredictability rate is so high for me at this point in terms of where the show was going and how this was all going to end uh, because the show had made it very clear that characters that you think are very important are actually expendable. So there was just a ton of tension coursing through my body. It was a great experience. I absolutely loved watching this. And okay. yes, there are a shit ton of lengthy monologues in it, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, where can you watch it? Netflix. Netflix. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. I will add it to the watch list. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. 
Oi, bro. I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right. So for this week, as I mentioned earlier, we've got some bits of news on the Oscar race, uh, bullet points, and then also stuff happening within the Hollywood industry. So we're going to just tackle some of these one point at a time here. We're not going to spend too much time on each necessarily, but I do want to make sure that we uh, get a chance to mention them. So first up, we got word that Dune Part 2 is officially greenlit from Warner Brothers and Legendary Studios and will be coming out in October of 2023. And film Twitter lost their damn minds. <laughs> I was part of it. I was part of the hive. I was having a great day. I know. <laughs> Listen, it's like we knew it was coming. The box office performance has been very good, all things considered. Uh, it's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic right now. So I think that after having seen it as many times as I have and others experiencing it for the first time as well, like the idea that part two had not even been officially greenlit yet uh, during the time of its opening weekend. Yeah, it's like we all kind of knew it was coming, but it was just nice to have the confirmation. It was nice to hear the news. <laughs> Dune is a really fascinating case study for me in what um, what studios are looking for and what they think is profitable. Mm-hmm. Because the idea that something with as much name recognition as Dune a studio like Warner Brothers would be like, oh, we can't commit to making the whole thing. We're just going to do part one right now and see how it goes. Is like, well, what what then does it take? Well, did you see the, uh, another article that was uh, released? They said that they're going to only do event films in theaters starting in 2022 and everything else is going to be on HBO Max. I did. I did see uh, that. But like if, so if, if something like Dune especially directed by someone of the caliber of Denis Villeneuve, if that doesn't get an immediate, like, green light for the whole thing, like, then what are they looking for? You know, that's... Well, you got to remember, Blade Runner 2049 did disappoint and was lower than what the expectations were for them. So I think that they were just worried. Look at, like, how some of their other films also performed throughout this year. I think the only two things that have uh, performed well for them were Conjuring 3 and Godzilla vs. Kong. Everything else did dismal numbers. So it really could have gone either way, but obviously the platform release with the film festivals, the positive reviews, and the Oscar buzz all helped, along with, of course, the hottest cast ever assembled for a film. Seriously. <laughs> that is the most, and I have to say, that is the most fan baity cast you could probably have assembled. Like and a, I, I, instead of like a dream, you know, like the right. what is it, the the soccer imaginary soccer thing, what you guys do over there? Oh, you the know, fantasy like football. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a fantasy film lineup. <laughs> yes, 
And like, and I don't mean that in a negative way. <laughs> so very happy about that news. Excited to see how part two is realized for the big screen because if you know anything about part two holy shit are the best parts of that story still to come in terms of just twists big action set pieces completion of the character arcs i think that they're going to really knock it out of the park but it does now lead into from an award season standpoint the question of Will the Academy wait to embrace this fully once they see the complete vision like they did with Lord of the Rings? Or will they, you know, go guns blazing for it, you know, now and bestow upon it um, a shit ton of nominations and maybe a lot of wins uh, for the first part? I I do think it's going to perform similar to Fellowship and Mad Max Fury Road, where I think Denny will be in the conversation to win director, but I don't think he will. And I think the film will just walk away with tech wins uh, when all is said and done. I think that that is certainly the way that the Oscars are trending with these sort of things right now. But the idea, and I'm just going to throw it out there because why not at this point, the idea that we could have another Godfather, Godfather part two situation. And believe it or not, Dan, (laughs) if you know the story of Dune, thematically, they're not that different from Godfather. (laughs) Even better. Mm -hmm. But like, that's my thing is that like, there are still some question marks in terms of the bigger movies to come during the fall season. We still don't know what Don't Look Up is going to be like or West Side Story or being the Ricardos and some other things. Which, by the way, a lot of those are screening uh, this week yeah. and next week. I mean, like, by the time we get around to Thanksgiving, I'm pretty sure that everything will have been seen with the exception of maybe one mm-hmm. or two things. And the thing is, is that like, but looking at the field as it stands right now. Dune is the only thing that makes sense to me as like a best picture winner. And I know that sounds really weird, but like if you think about the Oscars as the vision that Hollywood wants to present of itself, why wouldn't you go with a critically acclaimed audience beloved massive blockbuster as your best picture winner, especially when you want people to go back to theaters. It's a very, very interesting point, and one that I think, once again, will get at the nomination. Yeah. A win is something that I'm I, I can't I can't go there yet, but I see the argument, and I definitely think the argument will play a role in it being mm-hmm. part of that conversation for picture and director, and maybe even adapted screenplay, depending on how the rest of that field works yeah. out. Because Lord, that field is weak. <laughs> a couple of other things here. Uh Australia. Announced their feature film submission uh, when Pomegranate's Howl is going to be their choice uh, for this uh, year. And then also uh, we have Flea. Flea was selected as the Danish Oscar entry for this year. No Mm -hmm. surprise there. No surprise. Yeah. Yep. And worst person in the world for um, Norway. Yep. Portugal submitted The Metamorphosis of Birds for Oscars. And then... Italy, of course, picked Paolo Sorrentino's The Hand of God. I love that there were some very, very obvious choices. And then some <laughs> others like, oh, what's that movie? Can't wait to see that. Mm-hmm. I think the international feature race is such an interesting one this year. I mean, we got the trailer for A Hero this week. And seeing 
the response to that, that seems like it should be the slam dunk winner of the year, especially considering Oshkosh for Hardy's track record with the Oscars. But there's still a part of me that wonders if they'll feel like, oh, we've been there, we've done that with him. It's maybe time to recognize another filmmaker, another country. And that's where, you know, it starts getting very interesting with obviously Tatan being so buzzed about and then Worst Person in the World also being a general consensus film. And then there's a sleeper film like Drive My Car, which the more people see that, the more they think it's one of the best films of the year. And that could surprise in the end. Yeah. And you still have Flea as a potential spoiler in multiple categories. Yeah. The more people, that's another one. Like the more people see it, the more they're like, the more they realize like the hype is real. Mm hmm. Not to mention Flea, I still maintain fighting for a temp slot there in the best picture category because. It is one of those unique films where it's animation, it's international, it's documentary, and people are placing it into best film categories for for each of those respectively. At a certain point when you have it listed as the best film in two or three of those, why doesn't your brain then say, yeah, this is one yeah. of the best films of the year, period? Agreed. So I, I can't wait to see how much that race uh, continues to evolve over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, which film the critics go for or if there's going to be divided opinion and we have a true genuine race on our hands here. It's going to be I, very exciting. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. I, I'm so more excited for this year's Oscars, Oscar race than last year, if I'm going to be completely honest. Oh, yeah, I get that. It just like it feels like finally cinema is like properly back. Mm. And it's it's been like so just this whole in our lives for so long and now it's finally being back and one of the films that is screening uh this upcoming week for the first time that is a large reason for that we got a second trailer this week for house of gucci uh, yeah. i gotta tell you this is one of the films that for a lot of people is a big question mark in terms of tone and will it be a mess and mm. but i gotta say watching that trailer i really do think that this movie is going to land the same way that American Hustle did, where I think it's going to get nominations across the board. I think there will be an embrace from the industry for it, but maybe a more divided reaction online. Mm -hmm. And I would watch out for Jared Leto, Lady Gaga, maybe even the screenplay, like we were talking before, in a weak adapted field. I mean, there's a lot of damage this film could still do in the season. (laughs) Yeah, American Hustle, I think, feels like the most appropriate analog for Hustle. This movie has the best marketing. (laughs) Oh, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And these trailers, both trailers have been like so well constructed. Um, I still am a little, I'm going to say a little skeptical of if this tone is actually the tone of the movie. Well, from what I have been told, I've heard that this is going to be like, the tone of I, Tanya, where it's fourth yeah. wall breaking and has like an energy and a zip to it. And I do think the second trailer reflects that maybe a bit more than the first trailer did. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm here for it. <laughs> also too, Al Pacino got a lot more moments in the second trailer, but now it has me wondering, uh, could we be seeing uh, two nominations in supporting actor with both him and Leto? Because that field is wide open for anything to happen. Yup. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of very interesting stuff going on there for sure. Uh, speaking of trailers, I do want to uh, 
move over to our first trailer here, uh, which is The Unforgivable. Uh, Netflix released this this week starring Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis, Rob Morgan, John Bernthal, and a few others. It is directed by Nora Fingscheidt. Uh, this is going to be getting a limited release on November 24th prior to streaming on Netflix on December 10th. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts. Brief phone call. Hello? Hello? You're gonna pay for what you did. I was in prison. I just got out. You lost it for 20 years. For what? Does your release alter the terms of your no contact order? You don't have to give me a speech. I'm looking for Katie. She's my little sister. I raised her. Okay, next time, don't drag me through three bus transfers to tell me something you already know. John, there's a woman in the front yard. Can I help you with something? You're a lawyer. What would Catherine gain by meeting her now? I wonder all the time what she looks like, what she became. Your life starts here now, not 20 years ago. She did her time. She killed somebody in cold blood. If that were any of your black sons who had been in the system, they would be dead. She walks around like it never happened. Now you tell me if that's fair. You gotta be a convict wherever I go? No, you're a cop killer everywhere you go. Okay, Ruth, Ruth, you just stop saying you're not. I'm good! Don't treat me like I don't exist! Tell her about me! Don't even pretend this is about her! Yes, I was protecting her! You are not a victim! I feel this is very much fitting the definition of a film that's positioning itself as Oscar bait. It probably will be good for Sandra Bullock. I think she'll get strong notices for it, but kind of like another trailer we recently talked about, Bruised, I'm worried about the film surrounding her. And with Netflix having both Bruised, this, The Lost Daughter, they're also campaigning Tessa Thompson. Like, there are so many contenders already for Best Actress that Netflix has at their disposal that it's like, something's got to give here. And I think based on what's presented, I don't think this is going to be terrible per se, but I don't think it's going to make a splash in the awards race. I'm Just really like looking forward to it. throwing everything at the wall. Yeah. Trying to see what sticks. Right. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm here for, I'm always here for Sandra Bullock. She is one of my favorite actresses. I find her, I love her as a person. I find her so charming and relatable. And I think she's a, kind of underrated as an actress. And I love that she's going head to head against Viola Davis in this trailer. That scene gave me everything I wanted. And then some, I'm always here for Sandy to crash the party. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, the quality of this overall. I, I don't know, but I'm I'm looking forward to it based on this trailer, and I didn't even know it existed before. So good job, people who put together that trailer. <laughs> yeah, I sort of echo what Matt says. It just feels like there's 
a lot going on in this sort of race for best actress this year and um, that's exciting but at the same time i worry that um are we going to have a, a scenario where it's just going to be like one person is just instantly just going to run with it and everybody else is going to be left behind because that seems to be sort of a trend that's been happening in the last couple of years so I kind of want it to be a bit more mm. of an even playing field because it just uh, makes it a little bit more interesting. It's kind of a bit of a, a bore when it's just, yeah, you know, Thank Olivia you. Coleman <laughs> just running away with everything. I will never be bored with Olivia Coleman running away with everything. Well, that's true. I know. But what I mean is. She was the first person that came to my head. Okay? I, I do find it really funny that one of the things they use here in the trailer is from the producer of The Departed, Graham King. Yeah. And it's like. <laughs> You're really, really reaching right now to yeah. try and draw a connection to a movie that people care about by <laughs> saying the producer. I, I mean, like, I, I, I think they're trying to sell this and I'm not buying quite yet. Although I got to say, I agree, Dan. I think Sandra Bullock does look really good in this. I love the scene with her and Viola that was featured in the trailer as well. I screenshotted it a couple times because I love viola's uh facial expressions while she's giving a thumbs up yeah. <laughs> so I, I, as you guys know i've been using that in the chats uh for certain things here and there uh but at the same time i think it could be a solid watch but i mean i don't know if i have hopes for it uh to have sandra in the conversation because that's the problem at this time of the year right it's like it feels like the table is set with so many people that it's hard to be a late breaking comer into the race unless if it is truly either a best of the year work or you're going to get a corresponding best picture nomination to go along with it yeah hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I do think that Sandra Bullock, just because she's Sandra Bullock, can make a splash. I don't know if she can break the ultimate five, but she is someone who is such a good campaigner mm -hmm. that she doesn't really need a big push from Netflix to make her mark in the race. I mean, and what's yeah. the worst thing that could possibly happen here? Uh, it gets not as many, but... Her star power attracts, you know, the bird's box. Yeah. 
crowd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that did very well for Netflix. So uh, Supposedly. Right. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now what I want to do is I want to move over to the polls here. Let's talk about uh, what the MVP film community voted on for last week's poll. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment, and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. For the release of Last Night in Soho, we asked everyone which is your favorite Edgar Wright film. So there's eight movies here. Bianca, favorite Edgar Wright film? Oh, it's like it's like Sophie's Choice here. This is uh, <laughs> so hard. Oh, I have to go with my heart and say Hot Fuzz because there's so many quotable lines from that movie and I just love the, the whole Britishness of it all. I, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, totally. I've, I've been to those villages, those types of villages, okay? I... That stuff goes down. Okay, that's all I'd say. <laughs> what about you, Dan? It's a very difficult choice. Um, and I love Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but particularly right now with the three of us on this podcast, I need to say Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Because that <laughs> fan art. <laughs> oh, and we had so ton of us and we did the... Um, uh, the podcast, the throwback review of that movie is just like my favorite thing ever. It is. I want it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm a massive fan of uh, Shaun of the Dead. We did that review for the podcast recently, and I had such a blast watching it. It was tremendous. Uh, but I'm going to go to bat here for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think that the creativity and the imagination from a visual standpoint, sound, the soundtrack, like everything on that movie is very underrated, in my opinion, so I'm going to stick up for that film. That is a great Let's see what the MVP film community, though, had to vote for in ranking all of his filmography. In last place, at number eight, with a single vote, <laughs> God bless you, whoever you are, a fistful of fingers. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right, and then in number seven, we have, ooh, number seven is Last Night in Soho. Oh. I mean, that makes sense. It's brand new. It is. But then number six is also brand new. The Sparks Brothers. Oh. Well, but it's not quite as brand new. <laughs> <laughs> also, the Sparks Brothers, I would argue, deserve to be a little bit higher on that list. But that's OK. Uh, I would oh, I, I would okay. I would say that people just haven't had a chance to see it yet, which is fine. Yeah. But I think once they do, they'll realize it's uh, one of the best films that he, that's in his filmography because it's a great documentary. Yeah, it's Amazing. Number five is The World's End. Yeah, it's the least of the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. Number four is Baby Driver. That makes sense. Okay. I'm surprised that it placed as high. I'm a surprised it's not higher. Like, I felt like people really loved that movie, but. I think that's the Ansel yeah. uh, Kevin Spacey yeah, effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number three is Shaun of the Dead. Oh. Number three. Yeah. 
Okay. And number one and number two by a difference of two votes. Wow. Number two is Hot Fuzz. And number one is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty fascinating. It's hard to argue with any of those three, honestly. It is, really. They're kind of interchangeable, aren't they, depending on the day. day. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) I, I definitely agree with that. And then for this week's poll for the release of Spencer, we are asking everyone, which is your favorite Kristen Stewart performance? And let's be real. I think for all of us, we're going to say Spencer, but <laughs> no. Oh, oh no. Don't assume. Don't oh. make assumptions. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. But let's 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 be real here. Spencer is pretty incredible. Spencer's her best performance, but that doesn't make it my favorite. Ah. Fine, Dan. You want to get particular with the words? I do. <laughs> All right, Dan. And what is your favorite Kristen Stewart performance? My favorite is Clouds of Souls Maria. That's a good that's a good pickle. God damn it. <laughs> no, because I think that is mine too, but see No, just for the sake of this argument, I'm gonna stick with Spencer and I'll say Clouds of Souls Maria is number two for me. Personal shopper number three. Oh, I was uh, personal shop is my number one. Oh, but I, I do want to just also give a little shout out to her role in Adventureland. Yeah, she's good in that. She's great. I love that movie. I also really loved her in Happiest Season. She's very good in that not very good movie. <laughs> also, can we just mention her in Panic Room? I was going to well? say shout out to Panic Room. Totally. There's a couple of other like hidden gems in her filmography that people haven't seen. That I think she's really good in. Uh, Camp X-Ray being one of them. She's great in Camp X-Ray. Uh, even The Runaways, I think she's phenomenal in. Oh, yes. Iconic. Yeah, the Runaways. Yeah. Iconic. And I know that Julianne Moore got most of the awards buzz that year, but I thought that she deserved to at least get a shout out for Still Alice. Oh, yeah. She's very good in that. Yeah. 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 And also, can, I, I kind of like her, even though she's in a tiny, only for a tiny way, bit of it in the um, Into the Wild. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, you know what's one that uh, I remember seeing her in at Sundance that like went absolutely nowhere, but I thought it was one of her best? Lizzie. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That yeah. Kind of disappointing, but she's good in it. Yeah. She is very good in it. And did anybody hear see Seaberg? No. Neither, neither did I. <laughs> I feel bad, but oh, I didn't. I, did. I remember it came at the tail end of an award season, and I just was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I thought no, she's good in that. She's good in it. Uh, I I'm so like impressed with her choices. Uh, apart yes. from Charlie's Angels, which let's just pretend that film didn't happen. <laughs> but aside from that, like she does, yeah. I think she's. It's a shame that everybody just. It's the Twilight thing, isn't it? Really. Yeah. You know? And can I tell you, like the guilty pleasure of uh, American Ultra. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I understand where you're coming from with that. I got you. Yep. But here's a really, really great thing. We've talked about all these great performances, and it feels that for so many people, she's still only known as being the Twilight Girl. And I think that when you look at her filmography, she's still also very young. She's 31 years old. She still has so much more left to give us on top of what she's already been doing these past couple of years from those movies. I think that... For a lot of people, yeah, okay, fine. If you genuinely love those movies, sure. (laughs) Like, by all means, cherish them. But she is so much more than just what those five films 
uh, did for her career. And I got to say, because I already tweeted about it, (laughs) for the month of November, I promised everyone that we would be doing more audio commentary (laughs) tracks here on the Next Best Picture podcast. And I came up with the... Absolutely insane, crazy, bold, exciting, terrifying idea (laughs) to do a marathon of all five Twilight movies back to back to back to back. I might have to just stick around for a little bit. Yes, (laughs) please be. (laughs) I can already tell that I will probably be losing my mind by the time we get to even film number two. I don't know. I've only ever seen the first one. I've never seen any of the sequels oh to Twilight. Oh my god! Whoa! Same. You I have got a treat in store for you. Exactly. Oh, the last one. So oh what we're gonna do is god. we're gonna record them all in a single go, and I will break them up uh, into uh, you know obviously their respective films, post them separately, uh, but. If you go on this journey with us, you will probably sense my mental deterioration <laughs> over the course of what will be a brutally long 10-hour day. If <laughs> anyone out there knows of a drinking game that you can Dan, play with don't, a Twilight don't film, you please fucking dare. Please let us know because we're going to need the help. Dan, I cannot. I can't. <laughs> it's like Bo Burnham in Inside where he's like, and I think I'm gonna die. oh yeah that's gonna be fun but hey i'm all for celebrating kristen stewart and comparing where she was with where she is now and getting that perspective in place (laughs) well you know it's really a testament to how large those movies have loomed over pop culture that i was shocked to learn that she is actually the same age that diana was during the time period that Spencer um, goes through. Oh, wow. Yeah. Diana was 31. Wow. And I was like, whoa, I did not realize that Kristen Stewart was that old. I am ready for the journey. I am ready. I don't know that I will ever be full of that. So head on over to the Next Best Picture page for the polls. You could choose up to three performances for Kristen Stewart and let us know what you think, uh, what, what your favorite performance is of hers. And we'll read the results out next week on the show. Second trailer that we have here is for Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue, or just Lightyear for short. Uh, This is coming out from Disney Pixar, June 17th, 2022, starring Chris Evans as the voice of the character who inspired the beloved toy that we all know from the Toy Story films. Let's take a look at the trailer and give some thoughts. To infinity 
And I'm genuinely a little shocked that it's taken them this long to do a Buzz Lightyear movie. But it's not a Buzz Lightyear movie at the same time, which is interesting. What? I, it, like, it's not about Buzz Lightyear the toy. It's about. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that this angle that they're going at for it is interesting because I like that it's affording Pixar the ability to do another space movie. And when you look at this teaser, there are shots in here that are so reminiscent of things like First Man. Yeah. I got like memories of Wally flooding back into my brain while watching this. Mm-hmm. And I think that if there is a story here that's worth telling of the journey that this character goes on uh, from an emotional standpoint, I think that this could be a very interesting step forward for Pixar in telling more grounded, realistic stories in their animation. Yeah, yeah. I would be very curious to see how that all plays out because obviously at the end of the day, there's still a animation studio that can do whatever the hell they want with their stories in terms of things that are not based within reality. But there is a element to this that I found to be like very exciting in how it could be presented from a realistic standpoint, you know? And you just hit on something, Matt, that like this is an animation studio. They can literally do whatever they want until yeah, whatever yeah. kind of story they can possibly think up, which makes me really, really sad to say that I've sort of reached the point with Pixar that I did with Marvel a while back where like I'm just kind of not excited for their movies anymore because they're all kind of sticking to a kind of formula. Yes, but at the same time, yeah. this is... They all feel the same, even if they don't have the exact same like plot points as closely as the Marvel movies. But what do. can you do, though? Out, you know, like, you can't tell an adult story from a studio that's targeting its story towards kids. I, I mean, and what I mean by adult, because it's not like I'm saying the Pixar movies have not had adult themes in them, but you can't make a rated r pixar movie or something like that well i'm not saying that it even needs to be rated r it's just like okay we get the trailer for Lightyear, and i can already tell you the plot beats that will happen in this movie you know it's it's more that it's more like everything from them feels very expected yeah it's it's very rare to get a avengers infinity war downer ending in any of these uh, films nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, like most of their movies have to have happy endings. So because of that, yes, I agree. It, it does feel very formulaic in terms of the box that they've put themselves in, in terms of what stories that they can tell. But I mean, the formula works for a reason. It's not just what kind of stories they can tell, it's how they tell them. Controversial opinions. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, is that I usually love the Pixar movies. I end up, you know, crying yeah. and all that stuff but like there is like they're kind of losing their luster like because their the house style has become so prominent and so um easily definable i do think it's also hard when you've had the early success that they had when you think about like say the mid 2000s and they're getting best picture nominations for their films and now they've entered into this era where a lot of original storytelling from them is few and far in between and they're doing sequels to movies that are that were already mm-hmm. popular. Yeah, and I was just going to say there's other animation studios which are now doing what they're doing, but even better in terms of the quality of the storytelling and the quality mm-hmm. of the animation. 
So now they have tougher competition and really they should be sort of. Yeah, yeah they're not the only game in town anymore. Yeah. Um, I do like the move to get Chris Evans as opposed to Tim Allen yeah. uh, returning. I think that's a wise PR move and <laughs> one that I also am looking forward to seeing, you know, Chris Evans uh, doing a voiceover performance and what he might bring to, to the character. Um, I did find it hilarious that much like. I remember the original uh, teaser for Spencer. Uh, they teased uh, Chris Evans speaking until like the very, very yeah. end. Uh, and then I like the David Bowie uh, use uh, in the trailer. Yeah. You know, I, I think yeah. that anytime you use yeah. David Bowie, it's a good sell for your movie. <laughs> it is indeed. It is. It's a very well constructed trailer. All right. And now we're going to end things here with questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us this week. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it. Whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing it together as a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. I actually want to start off here uh, with an email I received because I actually like all three of the questions that this person asked. This is from Tristan Brown. I'm going to ask all three of them. So question number one. In June, when In the Heights made its way into theaters, many of us praised Olga uh, Meredith's uh, performance, anointing her as the early frontrunner for supporting actress. Recently, we've been saying that this year's supporting actress category is wide open for the most part. Uh, so what happened to Olga? Everyone seemed to be sure that she would get nominated or even win, yet her name is not even in the conversation anymore. She won the Tony for portraying the same character after all. Doesn't that mean anything? Look, I got a lot of flack when I posted my review for In the Heights on the site that I did not include her in the Best Supporting Actress as a possibility for Oscar nominations. And I stand by that. I think the movie came out far too early for that to have the lasting impact that it needed to last to the end of the year with flashier contenders. On top of which, there was that whole controversy that well, a number of controversies that sort of tanked in the Heights Awards chances. And if you want to know why she's not being talked about, that's why. She needed that film to come along with her and it, in order to sweep her up in the love for it. And it's not happening. Question number two. Can someone please explain why many of you deem Nicole Kidman as being miscast as Lucille Ball? I really don't understand. <laughs> Who would be a better option for Lucille's casting? I don't think Kate Blanchett would have been a better choice. Also, why is everybody hating on being the Ricardos in its entirety? After only a one-minute teaser was released, the MVP team seems to be grossly underestimating this film. It's Nicole Kidman in a biopic that takes place in 1950s Hollywood, written and directed by Aaron Storkin with an A-list cast. This movie was literally tailor-made for the Academy. I would not be surprised if Being the Ricardos walks away with six to eight nominations. I want to ask this person if they've seen Bewitched. <laughs> because if you've seen Bewitched, then you know why Nicole Kidman is a strange choice to play Lucille Ball. She makes more sense as an Elizabeth Montgomery type. more A little more um, glamorous and prim and proper. Lucille 
Ball, and I'm gonna I'm saying Lucille Ball, not Lucy, because the character she played on the TV show is a little different. But she wasn't quite that. She was more in her everyday life. She was much more ruthless business person-y type, not quite so glamorous as the movies tried to make her seem. And Nicole Kidman, as much as I love her, that's not really the thing that she does. <laughs> it's not her. Okay. She, it's not her type. I'll say. And as for who would be a better choice, I mean, look in that cast, Nina Arianda. I'd love to see her get the chance to strut her stuff in a role like that. And, and as far as like the movie from a potential award season standpoint outside of Nicole Kidman, I just feel that people are tired of Aaron Sorkin after the trial of Chicago 7 last year. Uh, but then again, that is probably the perception of how the internet feels about Aaron Sorkin and maybe not the industry as a whole. So, yes, I do agree that it is still in the hunt to do well and could potentially be that late-breaking film that we were talking about without the film festival run that could score a lot of nominations. I'm hesitant. I'm mixed. I don't know. I'm hoping to have more answers within the next couple of days. I mean, that's the thing, too, is that, like, no one has seen anything from this movie at this point which is why everyone is so hesitant to predict it i think right and in question number three this one's directed at me um <laughs> this is random but how do you all decide who gets to speak on which podcast episode specifically film reviews <laughs> is it random is it first come first serve does matt decide who has the most to say about each specific film i'm dying to know it's matt does not know in advance it's basically Thunderdome, okay? One of a, two may enter, one. <laughs> well, Tristan, I'm glad you asked because I have gotten this question a lot over the years. Uh, the answer is I have a sheet with a schedule and I share it with the entire team and the entire team tells me what they can make and what they can't. Uh, obviously, um, there are times where I would prefer to have somebody on, but sometimes just scheduling just doesn't work. And... I go based on my schedule because I have to be there. So <laughs> if I've got something going on and I can't be there for the time that I originally slated and I got to move it, maybe now someone who originally said yes can no longer make the new time. Maybe they get stuck in traffic. Yep, or they get stuck in traffic. Exactly. It all depends. And, <laughs> you know, there's never uh, me saying something along the lines of, oh, you can't be on this or something like that. Uh, it's really open forum. And if you're available and can make it, great. But really, we do have to go in a Thunderdome situation. And, uh, you know, they don't call me be the Brutus for nothing. <laughs> uh, this one comes from Richard Houlihan. Do you see BAFTA, specifically BAFTA, giving a posthumous nomination to Diana Rigg for Last Night in Soho, kind of like how they did it for uh, Pete Postlewaite for The Town in 2010. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting call-out and one that I had not considered until I saw the question, and now that I've seen it, I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it mm. past them, no. Yeah, same. Josh Blumenkrantz, name a movie character that still haunts you Till this day. Oh. Haunts me. Oh, um, Angelica Houston in Nicholas Rogue's The Witches. Oh, my. Yes, that's a good one. I would also that's want so to creepy. say Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Oh, that's a good one. I yeah. love Matilda. Oh, my gosh. That what film a... is amazing. But yes. Jesus Christ, have I been scarred by that movie? 
<laughs> I don't know if this is like the horror answer that maybe they were uh, looking for here, but Faye Dunaway is Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest. Oh, 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 yes, oh my yes. God. No, why? When I tell you, I still have nightmares. Yeah. It's not clear. Oh my God. Terrifying, terrifying stuff there. Get me the axe. <laughs> Ooh, I like this one. Dylan Gonzalez, too. Favorite non English language horror films? Audition. House. Houseu. Oh, Completely insane. Um, it, on the Criterion Collection, Japanese film from the 70s. So batshit insane. Like most films today cannot compare. It is <laughs> incredible. Uh, the Orphanage. Oh, oh yes. yes. I love so Orphanage. Creepy. Oh, that oh. gets me every time. There's that moment that gets me with the baby pram. Oh, God, oh. yes. Yes. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. One yeah. of the best jump scares I've ever seen. It's so good. It's so good, but literally terrifying. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like outside of the U.S., horror movies are presented so much differently. Like they're movies that you almost wouldn't classify them as horror per se, but they are. Um, It's just not yeah. horror as we typically tend to think. I'm thinking of something like Funny Games. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. oh, um, Good Night Mommy. Oh, I yeah. loved Good Night Mommy. Yeah, that's so creepy. But. Again, not like a horror film, like anything you see, you mm. know, from Hollywood. And I got to give a shout out to Let the Right One In. Oh, yes. Oh, Probably yeah. my favorite vampire film ever. Yeah. Yep. Let's not talk about the remake. Oh, no, I like the remake. Let me in. That's good. Oh, I liked it. It's not just, the same, but it's yeah. good. It just makes me frustrated because, you know, just yeah. let, you know, uh, why can't we just watch the original? Like, just because it's got subtitles, give it a go, you know? Uh, Michael Myers Groovy Baby uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love at it. RMR Cyborg. Mike, what are your favorite movie-themed Halloween costumes that you've ever done? Oh. I've never done a mo- I've never been invited to a Halloween party. Oh, Hmm. I I was Ted one year for Halloween and I like wearing costumes where it is fully covering your entire body and nobody knows it's you underneath the mask (laughs) so I'm going around as this big talking bear but I'm not really talking to anyone and everybody's wondering the whole time who is that underneath the Ted costume so I I, I like doing stuff like that did you give people a lot of hugs (laughs) (laughs) I won't say what I was going to say maybe not (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to be like, Matt, are you secretly a furry? Um, <laughs> Another year, I was one of the um, uh, masked, uh, I don't know what you would call them, but like, let's just say socialites from Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, sure. Oh, wow. Now I'm very, very worried for you, Matt. What's going on? <laughs> what parties are you going to? <laughs> I it's not specifically movie, I guess, but one of my go tos is to put on my trench coat and get some accessories and go as Sherlock Holmes. I love that. And yeah. my favorite was when um when I was with my uh my former partner, we would go as Holmes and Watson. It's a really fun mm-hmm. sort of couples thing. And you know, just like it's something that I can put together from my closet and not have to buy is always a plus. <laughs> I have gone to parties before, but I know it's not film related, but I have dressed up as the 11th Doctor from Doctor Who. Yeah. So I had the little bow tie and a little oh. jacket and everything. So I love it. Did you have a Sonic? I did have a Sonic yes. and a Fez. Because <laughs> <laughs> Fez is so cool. 
I don't want picture. James Robert Scott asks, do you like scary movies? Yeah. You know, I didn't for a long time, but I do now. Yeah. I didn't for a long time either, and I think I subscribe more to the A24 definition of horror than I do the Hollywood mainstream big studio horror movies. I I like those occasionally. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you do need just a dumb (laughs) slasher movie. Or sometimes they can be presented in a way that you just find to be creatively interesting on a larger scale like it for example um i was really captivated by even though i still think part one is definitely a million times better than part two yes yeah oh yeah yeah i i I want to just give us sort of like a shout out to more sort of like ones that try and break the mold in that regard so like your next and um Mm -hmm. freaky and and, um ready or not right yeah yeah like i like those those more sort of experimental sort of like knowing tongue-in-cheek type of thing. Mm. Film and Sports 21 asks, what is the most scared that you've ever been in a movie theater? (sighs) For me, it's easily being at Sundance and watching Hereditary at midnight when she was on the ceiling. Oh, God. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I'm going to give a non-horror answer first (laughs) and then a horror answer because people will understand this in about a month, but the last act of a hero I was watching through splayed fingers. (laughs) I I couldn't take the tension. (laughs) I was, (laughs) Matt knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) I was so, I couldn't, I almost couldn't watch. It was so bad, but for a horror answer, it is easily without a doubt, the Blair Witch project. Oh, that's a good one. Especially because at the time, you know, I my family we lived in a house that we we were basically surrounded by woods oh, on oh, three God. sides, and so like everything in that movie about just like the endless night and dark and nothingness surrounding you and the sounds and things that go bump in the night and then that yeah. ending, yeah. ah, it was that was easily the scariest I've ever been in a horror movie. <laughs> So mine isn't necessarily in a theater. It took place in a shopping mall. And I watched the original Dawn of the Dead in a shopping mall. And then at the end of the screening, they had people come out as zombies. No! Yeah, yeah. They were all coming from all different areas, like all around us, because we were in like this little row. And they were just coming out from the shops and everything. And it was like proper terrifying for a second i did have that moment where i was like oh my god no way the real zombies this is it you know <laughs> and oh, then i realized no. no it's just art students but you know <laughs> it was oh like my the, god was that's so, incredible <laughs> yeah that was that was a great experience but um another time was when i fell up the stairs we're wearing a light blue dress and i had a slushy drink and it went all over me oh no that was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> In a theater. <laughs> did you look like Carrie afterward? I did. I did. No! <laughs> I had to sit there for the entire movie because it was um, I Am Legend oh, and I didn't want to miss no. it. <laughs> ben Smith asks, what is your favorite horror film and which horror films should have been nominated for Oscars that weren't? Oh, I mean, how much time do you have? Yeah, we'll be here for 
Hereditary. Yeah, Hereditary, I would say, for Tony Collette, Best Actress, that's like an easy answer for me. Favorite horror film of all time, actually, the Oscars did recognize, though, for me, uh, and that's The Exorcist. I am a massive, massive, massive fan of that particular movie. Uh, not so much the sequels and spinoffs that have come since then, but mm-hmm. that original movie, I think, is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. I, yeah. It, uh, Tony Collette in Hereditary easily should have gotten a nomination i don't understand i mean i do understand i mean but... ditto lupita nyong'o for us as well oh god yes right, yeah, yeah that's god, like that's yeah. a very recent one that you know comes to mind i also want to give a shout out to the cinematography of midsummer right. in that just shooting a horror movie during the day like that i was really impressed by that film yeah the production design in that movie oh my yes, god yeah. mm-hmm and can I just say The Witch as well? The Witch for adapted screenplay probably should have happened because the language and the writing of it is, mm. I, I think Eggers is one of the most meticulous and well-researched uh, writers that are that is working today. And I, I can't wait to see what he does with The Northman. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, if I'm picking my favorite, you know what? I'm going to cheat. My favorite is Suspiria. Oh, uh, which Both of version? Them. Oh, okay. Both of them. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that answer. Oscar H V underscore film underscore maniac. Any casting ideas for Dune Part Two? We have been over this the second that I got out of Dune Part One. I turned to Matt and said, "We need to see Brooklyn Prince as." <laughs> The, um, as Jessica's daughter. Alia, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that that would be so great for part two. Mm-hmm. I would also, I saw, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Johnny um, Sabziak who commented and then said, and if they do do Messiah, uh, age her up and cast Thomas and McKenzie. And I was like, okay. <laughs> right. That's great. Yep. Uh, I don't know for the Emperor because I feel like there's so many different ways that they could go with that. Mm. It's really tough for me to say definitively. I've heard so many different ideas, though. Charles Dance feels like the most appropriate, but also at the same time, the most basic. Yeah. That I almost don't want it to happen. Uh, and then I've heard, uh, you know, a very inspiring choice like Mahershala Ali. I have not heard a suggestion for the Emperor that I've gone like, mm, maybe not. Every suggestion that I've heard for that has been like, oh, I could see that. I mean, one of the most interesting ones that I've heard uh, thrown out there was for the Emperor's daughter, uh, you cast Sophie Turner. Oh, yes. that This is my idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> to break the internet. <laughs> and then for the Emperor, you cast Sean Bean. <laughs> but I mean, uh, for the Emperor's daughter... Um, I've heard Anya Taylor-Joy. I've heard Saoirse Ronan. I've heard so many different ones. I mean, the Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, uh, you know, reuniting is something that's kind of irresistible. Yeah, yeah. It would be almost too much. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. But no, excited to see, uh, you know, we'll obviously get that casting, I'm sure, within the next couple of of weeks. I mean, Barry Keoghan sent out a tweet uh, hinting uh, within, it was literally within the hour, I think they they announced part two. And, I mean, if he were to play uh, Fayed, that would be, oh, my God, fantastic. That was my other, like, instant reaction to <laughs> to Dune Part 1. It was like, well, they got a Casper Keoghan, mm-hmm. that character. 
Final question. Luca Gilberti asks, here I am with another mass-related question. Do you think it being the first physical screener sent to the SAG nomination committee will boost its chances at the SAG Awards? And if so, to what extent? Look, if that film is not nominated for SAG Ensemble Award, then like that award should just be discontinued. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like that is exactly the sort of thing that that category was made to honor. I completely agree. You could you could argue to me that maybe not enough people have seen it, but the fact that the screener is getting out there early and first right. says to me, no, you have a chance to see it right now because there's nothing else for you to watch. This It's right in front of you. Here yeah. you go. Yeah. And once you do, you cannot – I'm sorry. You cannot – even you can't even try to make the argument to me that there were better ensembles, there were better performances. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just will not hear your argument on that because I think it is too undeniable. And the four of them are great individual performances, but they're also fantastic at working together as a genuine ensemble. Right. There have been other great ensembles this year. I question whether those will even stand a chance with SAG, but this one is like my real passionate, like if you don't pick this sag you should be ashamed of yourself pick i agree completely wholeheartedly yes let's make it happen yeah i think that right now the only ensemble i've seen this year that works together better as a group is maybe the ensemble of the humans yeah no the ensemble for the humans is pretty good i agree but that also i think is going to face a similar issue as mass where how many people are going to get a chance to see it and also, in that case, how many people are actually going to like it? Because that's a very difficult movie. Agreed. Yeah. All right. We've reached the end here. Aww. Bianca, it has been so lovely having you on for yes. this final episode and for all the years that you have contributed to its next best picture. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Well, you can find me at The Film B, and you can also find me uh, in their own league as well. So I'm going to be trying to focus more on that. Um, and um, I'll also be working on some other things, maybe in the future. Who knows? But I'll be around in some shape or form. Like a ghost you can't ever get rid of. <laughs> Happy Halloween. We started off with ghost no- noises, and now we're ending with a ghost No, reference. that was a zombie. Oh, okay. yeah, that's right. That's right. Zombie. Right, zombie. right, right. Zombie. Forgot. <laughs> All right, Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 267 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including the before-mentioned oh, Twilight Saga audio commentary tracks that we will be releasing throughout the month of November. Oh, man. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.